So Christ is going to advise them uh, based on their current spiritual situation. And as one of his churches, this is not only his position, but his imperative to advise them. Uh, see, Kelly, could I have you read here? Because you say, I am rich and I have become wealthy and have need of nothing. And you do not know that you are wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. I advise you to buy from me gold refined by fire so that you may become rich and white garments so that you may clothe yourself and that the shame of your nakedness will not be revealed and the eye salve to anoint and eye salve to anoint your eyes so that you may see. Thank you. Uh, so we notice three things in here, and I know I already set the stage for this, uh, but for them, they would have understood this implicitly uh, being where they were and their, their commerce in Laodicea. But the Lord is saying that uh, he advises them to buy gold refined by fire. Remember, uh, they're involved in a lot of banking here in Laodicea. This would be uh, likely what they're thinking of. I mean, it's, it's like living on Wall Street. He says you need real money, not counterfeit money. Uh, they need gold refined by fire so that they might become rich. They already view themselves as rich, but the Lord does not. Uh, they need white garments so that they may clothe themselves. Again, an export of Laodicea is black wool. Just like from Thyatira, it was the purple wool. Uh, the special export here is black wool. And it says that they need eye salve um, to anoint their eyes so that they might see. And if you remember, one of their exports was pharmaceuticals. They thought that they had the means to heal themselves. And if you look up at the beginning of the verse, uh, he indicates that, that they think they have need of nothing. Um, but he is saying even what they think they have, they don't have. So what's his claim? Or what is their claim? It's because you say, I am rich. Laodicea believes that they're rich and have become wealthy and have need of nothing. Uh, this is not directly related, uh, but this is one way that the Lord looks at the rich, uh, at the quality of those who view themselves as rich, better to say. Uh, he says, but woe to you who are rich, for you are receiving your comfort in full. Woe to you who are well-fed now, for you shall be hungry. Woe to you who laugh now, for you shall mourn and weep. This woe to the rich uh, from 1 Timothy is uh, more fit to, the, to Laodicea in that it's directed to a church. Um, so this is another message to the church, and this is to Timothy. And uh, this is Paul teaching Timothy how to lead his church and what to stay away from. Uh, see, Mark, could I have you read this for us? Instruct those who are rich in this present world not to be conceited or to fix their hope on the uncertainty of riches, but on God, who richly supplies us with all things to enjoy. Instruct them to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share, storing up for themselves a treasure of a good foundation for the future, so that they may take hold of that which is life indeed. Thank you. Uh, so I think this, this verse is rather self-explanatory. Uh, they need to take hold of true riches, true riches that Christ supplies, not the riches of this world. 
So what's Christ's correction for them? Uh, he says, you are not as good as you think you are. Uh, I know I've, I've heard this from my mother before. Uh, you're not half what you think you are. Uh, but what does he say they are? He says, you are wretched. You are miserable. You're poor, you're blind, and you're naked. This goes against everything they are thinking of themselves. Um, this word miserable has a sense of pitiable. Um, just like he has remorse over their current situation. He's saying, it goes so far that I, I pity you. Um, I don't look up to anything that you have as good or beneficial or profitable here. That you're poor, you're needy in need, and you're a beggar. This word poor, we've looked at um, before, and it's not just little means, it's having absolutely no means. You can't even support um, your own life. Um, so it would be not just poverty level, but how you'll live till tomorrow is uncertain sort of poverty, uh, and that they are blind. So Christ gives them a counter offer. He's not going to leave them uh, in the lurches here. He advises them to buy from him gold refined by fire so that they might become rich. This is a valid offer that he's give, giving them, uh, but not for worldly riches, but for spiritual riches. He's offering them white garments so that they might clothe themselves and that the shame of their nakedness will not be revealed. And he's offering them eye salve to anoint your eyes so that you might see. So he is offering them a better spiritual condition. So what is uh, gold refined by fire or what is more precious than gold? Uh, see, Kelly, could you read this for us from 1 Peter 1, 6 to 7? In this you greatly rejoice, even though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been distressed by various trials. <clears throat> So that the proof of your faith, being more precious than gold, which is perishable, even though tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Great, thanks. Uh, so he's saying that the proof of your faith being tested by fire, uh, your faith is going to withstand the fires of testing uh, more even than gold. Gold is purified by fire, so is faith. Uh, and he's saying to them that faith is much more valuable to them than gold. Uh, here from 1 Corinthians 3, 10 to 12, uh, looking at the riches uh, that are considered uh, as gold. Kelly, could you read this as well? According to the grace of God, which was given to me, like a wise master builder, I laid a foundation, and another is building on it. But each man must be careful how he builds on it. <clears throat> For no man can lay a foundation other than the one which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now, if any man builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, or straw, each man's work will become evident. For the day will show it because it is to be revealed with fire, and the fire itself will test the quality of each man's work. If any man's work which he has built on it remains, he will receive a reward. If any man's work is burned up, he will suffer loss, but he himself will be saved, yet so as through fire. Great. So again, a lot of churches, they're either teaching uh, absolutely no works all by faith, 
or absolutely no faith all by works. Um, you get those two extremes here. Uh, but works are not absent from the Christian life. Works are completely absent from the process of justification. Not one work can we bring to the table to justify ourselves before the Lord. But once we are justified, it is possible for us to do good works for the Lord. Uh, however, as Christians, it is also still possible for us to do works that are not building toward anything good. Uh, this message to the Corinthians um, comes from a book that was correcting many huge problems in the Corinthian church. He is speaking to Christians that he calls carnal, uh, that he says they are so worldly minded, they look nothing like a Christian. And uh, the message that he's giving them is that you're building with hay, wood, and stubble. Your works are going to be uh, burned up. So build with precious metals and gold. Um, so that the quality of your work might be shown. Uh, what this means is that they need to be doing their good works in faith, in the Lord, not seeking their own means um, or their own end, but seeking both the Lord's will and to do it together with the Lord, letting him work through the believer. Uh, so even as a believer, our efforts uh, are useless unless... They are the efforts of the Lord through us. Um, the picture of the vine, that Christ is the vine and we are the branches. We are resting in him. And through us, he produces good works. All right. This is from Revelation 3, 4 through 5, looking at the white garments. We've already seen these to the church of Sardis. Uh, this was... Uh, mentioned, it says, but you have a few people in Sardis who have not soiled their garments, and they will walk with me in white, for they are worthy. He who overcomes will thus be clothed in white garments, and I will not erase his name from the book of life, and I will confess his name before my father and before his angels. These white garments that are being to offered to uh, Laodicea are these same white garments here, uh, and they're white garments of honor. In Revelation 16, 15, um, this is an aside uh, during one of the woes later in the book of Revelation. And he says, behold, I am coming like a thief. Blessed is the one who stays awake and keeps his clothes so that he will not walk about naked and men will not see his shame. This is what Laodicea is doing at the moment. They are walking about naked, thinking that they are clothed, but the world sees their shame. All right, we're going to do a quick, quick and dirty history of nakedness um, in the Bible, uh, because, I mean, this, this comes up a lot. It's mentioned so many times in the first few chapters of Genesis that it makes us wonder why. Um, so Genesis 2.25, uh, this is the last uh, verse in chapter 2 before chapter 3, uh, and everyone knows what happens in Genesis chapter 3, that's the fall of man. That's when Adam and Eve are tempted by the snake and they sin against God, changing our human condition forever. Uh, so this is the last statement of the Lord in a good creation. And he says, and the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. Uh, the Lord had said that this was a good creation at this point. There was nothing wrong with their nakedness before the fall. 
In 3.7, uh, Adam becomes aware of this nakedness after eating the fruit from the forbidden tree. He says, then the eyes of both of them were opened and they knew that they were naked and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loin coverings. Um, so at the moment that they knew of their need, they began to work. They began to sew themselves fig leaves. They did not seek the Lord. They tried to cover their own shame. Then the Lord God called to the man and said to him, where are you? He said, Adam, I heard the sound of you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked. So I hid myself. And he said, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree of, uh, from the tree of which I commanded you not to eat? Uh, I think this is one of the most interesting verses in the Bible, and there are many to choose from. Uh, God comes into the garden and he says, where are you? I don't think God had any uh, misgivings about where exactly Adam was, but he was giving Adam an opportunity to show himself before the Lord. And he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden. Um, he heard the sound of God. The only other person we can speak of who has had this sort of contact with God was Moses, who was head uh, hid in the cleft of a rock while God passed by, but Moses was not deemed worthy to see the presence of God. Uh, Adam was. Adam was perfect and holy in the original creation before the Lord, but here Adam understands his separation from God, and he's hiding himself because I was naked, so I hid myself, and God said, who told you that you were naked? And I think he's got a good point here. God said that was good. Man says that's not good. Man is creating for himself his own uh, divisions between right and wrong here. He has become responsible under uh, his awareness through eating of the tree of good and evil. And now he is deeming things right or wrong that God has not deemed right or wrong. Uh, so God says, who told you that you were naked? Under whom's authority did you act? Because let's think about Adam's situation here. Who is the authority of Adam? How many people? How many things? Only one, God. So if Adam has changed the words of God, and it didn't come from God, God is asking him, who have you put in authority over you that is not me? So he says, have you eaten from the tree which I commanded you not to eat? God has made this logical jump, and it's a very logical jump, that the only possible way for man to have come to this understanding was for him to have been disobedient to God. That disobedience was the only test. Uh, this tree was the only opportunity God gave them to sin against him, and they chose that opportunity. All right. And how did God fix that? In Genesis 3.21, the Lord God made garments of skin for Adam and his wife and clothed them. Their garments of fig leaves were not good enough to cover them. The works of their hands did nothing. Adam still had to hide from the presence of God. But God showed them that through death, death would become necessary for their salvation. They could approach him. And we'll trace this, actually, we'll be doing this next week. Uh, 
that after the fall, man had to approach God in sacrifice. They had to come to an understanding of the consequences of their sin. And without that understanding, they would be walking naked before the Lord, just as Laodicea, his own church, is doing here in the last days, uh, which is why it is so uh, disgusting to him that his own people, his own church, those who know who he is, have decided to walk naked before him. But he offers them white garments. Uh, these white garments will protect them from the shame of their nakedness. Uh, but this shame is not a permanent condition. We are awaiting a day of translation, uh, which is when the Lord will give to us our resurrection bodies and we will be restored to the same shamelessness we had before the fall. Uh, Mark, could I have you read here from 1 Corinthians 4, 16 to 18. Therefore, we do not lose heart, but through our outer man is, but though our outer man is decaying, yet our inner man is being renewed day by day. For a momentary light affliction is producing for us an eternal weight of glory far beyond all comparison. But we look not at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen, for the things which are seen are, tempor are temporal, but the things which are not seen are eternal. Thank you. And Mark, could you continue here? This is 1 Corinthians 5, but remember in the original text, there are no chapter breaks. So this is just the next three verses right after those. For we know that if the earthly tent, which is our house, is torn down, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. For indeed in this house we groan, longing to be clothed with our dwelling from heaven, inasmuch as we, having put it on, will not be found naked. Thank you. So the context of this, 1 Corinthians 4 and 5, comes after 1 Corinthians 3 that we already looked at, that uh, being refined by fire, our works will be tested. But we have this promise, and it's repeated constantly throughout Scripture, that we will be restored, not by our own efforts, but by the Lord's finished work on the cross. And through faith in him, we can approach, uh, we can approach him clothed in the house that he is creating for us. And uh, why I included from chapter four here so that we can see that this house is not a mansion that is outside of us, but our own bodies uh, that he's talking about in the context here, that that house in which we groan is our current uh, sin-filled body. And we long for that day when he'll clothe us with a new body, like Christ's resurrection body. Uh, and in that day, we'll be glorified. Uh, did I produce a slide. All right, there's a slide I didn't put in here, but we've talked before about the three tenses of salvation, justification, uh, sanctification, and glorification. Justification is completely based on Christ's work alone. Through faith, we are justified, uh, faith in Christ and his works. Uh, we can't bring any works to that. In our sanctification, this is our works through faith through rest in Christ, um, that we grow in him. And that's often what's being spoken about in these epistles to the church. These members of the church to whom these epistles are written are saved members of the body of Christ. He is telling them how to walk in these bodies 
prior to our translation, either by rapture or death. Uh, but we await glorification yet. And that's Philippians 1.6, where he who began a good work in us is, uh, will continue that good work until the day of the Lord. That until the day of the Lord, we are groaning in this mortal body. Uh, but on the day either of the rapture of the church or the death of the believer, uh, we are translated. And to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. This presence uh, before the Lord is possible only through him in the clothing that he offered us through his sacrifice on the cross, that just like Adam and Eve were clothed by an animal sacrificed to cover their sins, so we are clothed not by an animal, but by God himself uh, through his death on the cross. Mm -hmm.